Welcome to Stories of Rune Terra. My name is Guy Black, or Ravenhood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Rune Terra by Riot Games. The Riot Games community has crafted an incredible universe where spiders sometimes have guns for legs? Each week, we jump into the Riot Games universe and narrate something from the world of Runeterra off of the Riot Games universe site. Think of this entire project as an audiobook of League stories and lore by yours truly. This week's story, and a fan request for the short story specifically, Child of Zaun, is centered around the champion of Urgot, the Dreadnought. And I guess now it's time for me to do my horrific impression but you know we'll try there's only one way to measure a man tear him into pieces don't really have any crazy filters or anything but there you go once a powerful noxian headsman ergot was betrayed by the empire for which he had killed so many Bound in iron chains, he was forced to learn the true meaning of strength in the dredge, a prison mine deep beneath Zaun. Emerging in a disaster that spread chaos throughout the city, he now casts an imposing shadow over its criminal underworld, raising his victims on the very chains that once enslaved him. He will purge his new home of the unworthy, making it a crucible of pain. This one's a little bit of a different setup because I had a long time ago, there was a request for a story by Saint John St. Martin, I believe is the author. I'm sorry, Ivan St. Martin, Yvonne St. Martin. Hit me up if you guys know how to pronounce it correctly. I'm trying here. Uh, to read the story Child of Zaun. And I don't really do just the stories on here yet. I'm still trying to do a champion a week that way. We get through all the champions, and then I can start doing some of those more standalone stories. But in that story is Urgot, so I figured I would finally get my act together and put together Urgot and the Child of Zaun. So this is a fan request in part. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Urgot always believed he was worthy. As a headsman, an executioner of the weak, he was a living embodiment of the Noxian ideal that strength should rule, making it a reality with every swing of his axe. His pride swelled as the bodies piled ever higher behind him, and his intimidating presence kept countless warbands in line. Even so, a single word was all it took to seal his fate. Sent to distant Zaun to eliminate a supposed conspiracy against the ruler of Noxus, Urgot realized too late the mission was a setup, removing him from the capital even as the usurper Swain seized control of it. Surrounded by agents of the Kim Barons and enraged that everything he believed was a lie, Urgot was dragged down into the Kimtech mines beneath Zaun. He was defeated. He was enslaved. He was not worthy after all. He endured the mind's hellish conditions in grim silence, waiting for death. 
In the dredge, death came in many forms. The mine's warden, Baron Voss, would sometimes offer freedom in return for a prisoner's tortured confession, granting it with the edge of her blade. From the screams that echoed through the tunnels, Urgot learned about the wonders of Zaun. There was something special about the city, something marvelous and evident even in the secrets that spilled from slit throats. Urgot didn't know what it was until he was finally brought before Voss, fearing that she would break him. But as the Baron's blade cut into his flesh, Urgot realized that his body was already racked with agony, far beyond anything Voss could inflict. The dredge had made him stronger than he'd ever been as a headsman. Pain was Zahn's secret. His laughter drove Voss back to the surface, and a reign of anarchy began in the depths. Seizing control of the prison, Urgot reveled in new trials of survival. He found the parts of his body that were weakest, and replaced them with scavenged machinery, technology created by those who would die without it, necessity being the mother of pain. The guards could no longer enter the areas Urgot had carved out of Voss's grasp. The prisoners themselves were more afraid of their new master than they were of her. Many even grew to hold fanatical respect for Urgot as they were forced to hear his feverish sermons on the nature of power, his grip tightening around the necks of those who would not listen. Only when a Noxian agent arrived in the dredge was Urgot finally forced to confront his own past. Though the spy recognized him and sought his aid in escaping, Urgot beat him mercilessly and hurled his broken body into the darkness. It was not strength that ruled Noxus, Urgot now realized, but men. And men were weak. There should be no rulers, no lies, nothing to interfere with the pure chaos of survival. Starting a riot that ignited a chemtech vein within the mine, Urgot shook the city above and cracked the prison open in an explosion that rivaled the birth of Zaun itself. Many prisoners died, with thousands fleeing into the sump, but the worthy, as ever, survived. From that day, Urgot's reign of terror only grew. A hideous fusion of industrial machinery and Noxian brutality, he slaughtered Kim Barons and their lackeys one by one, gathering a following among Zahn's downtrodden masses. He was said to be a new savior, one who would lift the boot of the oppressor from the neck of every common Zahnite. However, his actions did not make such distinctions, as Urgot tested the worthiness of the meek and the powerful alike. To any who found themselves spared by his deadly trials, his message was clear. He was not there to lead, but to survive. If others were worthy, they would survive too. When Urgot finally struck at representatives of the Piltoven merchant clans, the wardens were forced to intervene, hauling him in chains to a fortified prison cell, though this merely seemed to confirm the Dreadnought as a legend among the gangers, the Sump Snipes and the Forgotten. For Piltover is not the first to shackle Urgot, and one must wonder if any cage can ever hope to hold him for long. And now for the specific fan request, Child of Zaun by Ian St. Martin. 
what's the difference between law and order? Can you really have one without the other? And what does the other have to do with justice? Maybe it depends on who you ask. If you ask me, well, the young me, justice comes by cracking skulls. Guess I'm feeling young today. It's still dark when I finally reach the Hall of Law, as is often the case, though not usually this so early in the morning. I'm bringing guests with me, a pair of them, two from the seven I caught vandalizing a row of shops and cafes down on Horologica's Avenue. One is snoring from the light tap I gave him, the other one's wide awake, and quite a fan of colorful language. Pipe down, you're disturbing my peace. I tighten my metal fingers around his collar and nod to his accomplice slung over my shoulder. If I were you, I'd take a hint from your friend here. This is brutality, he hisses. Where are we, in Noxus? Noxus? I have to stop myself from laughing. <laughs> I wish. If we were in Noxus, I'd be taking you to the reckoning pits, not a shaming cell. The imagery gives him a jolt, and I get a few moments of quiet before he's back at it. You think you can silence us, but you can't. We're going to expose your system of oppression and tear it down. And breaking all the windows in a tea room accomplishes this. How? You're just another bored, spoiled brat looking for a reason to smash things. You aren't helping anybody. We are speaking up for those without a voice, he snaps, for the poor and the downtrodden. I look at his clothes. New. Clean. There hasn't been a day he's wanted for anything. Well, I am one of those poor, downtrodden Zonites, and my voice works just fine. And now you're part of the system, he spits pink into the street. Put a few cogs in your pocket and you'll turn on anything. How do you sleep at night? There's an itch I get, wearing these gauntlets. The urge to feel ribcage wrap around my knuckles that on some days is damn near overpowering. Try as I might, his words have my blood getting hotter, and my hextech fists begin purring in response, ready for a scrap that's usually sure to come. But I tap it down. When I'm not rounding up idiots for smashing up tea rooms, oh, well, I sleep like a baby. Mercifully, we reach the doors. Here, <laughs> help a poor Zonite in need. I use the talker's head to knock. I confess, letting a little touch of my frustration slip into the last rap. It's loud enough to get someone to work the lock from the other side. Warden Keppel, I grin at the blinking face behind the slowly opening door. Getting an awful early start, eh, Vi? He grumbles, pawing sleep from his eyes. Injustice never rests, my friend. I drag my arrests through the front door, keeping Keppel the quick version of the morning's events. I've apprehended two of them. I finish. Both suspects are... I look at each of them, now snoring in tandem. Subdued. Keppel raises an eyebrow. Sure seems like it. Sheriff Caitlin's already looking for you upstairs. I trust you can handle the processing for this pair of recreational revolutionaries, then? I'll get it logged. Keppel grunts as I dump one of the punks in his arms and the mouthy one at his feet. I flash a smile as I pass him. You're an asset to the force. Caitlin's office is a mess. The creaking wooden desk is smothered, hidden beneath a forest of brass pneumatube capsules and the endless forms, messages, and edicts that they contain. 
The sheriff is lost somewhere in that forest, rummaging through warrants and mandates and the demands of her bosses and the merchant clans. It doesn't look like she's left the room for days, leaving me to guess at how short her temper might be as I close the door behind me. Sit down, she says without looking up, still digging around for something. Straight to it, then. What, is this about those punks? I clear off a chair and sit, flexing the mechanical fingers of my right hand and propping my boots up on the corner of her desk. They'll be walking around again in a few days. If you ask me, I went easy on them. This isn't about that, she answers, each word somehow more tired than the last. There's something that's been brought to our attention, developments that are complicated, and we need to look into. It's about Zon. I see that it's not lack of sleep, weighing Kate down, at least not all of it. Something's got her guard up, an apprehension that's rare in a woman who can put a bullet through a silver cog from three streets away. Is it her? I ask. Can't keep acid from my voice. Kate finally stops hunting around her desk. Those sapphire eyes flick up to me. No, this is something different, something new. New, I repeat though no more sense comes out of it. Kate takes a slow breath. <sighs> Something is happening in the sump. I cock my head. Well, that's pretty damn far out of our jurisdiction. Ever since the split, says Kate, our cities have existed in symbiosis. Despite appearances, one can't survive without the other, so a balance must be maintained. Split, they call it. Usually, a split is clean and even. In this case, some rich merchants got excited about digging a canal, too excited to make sure the land was stable. They put half of Zon underwater, drowning people in service of commerce. And the way that commerce has been divvied up since is pretty far from clean or even. A real easy way to break that balance would be to reach down into lower Zon and start shaking things up, I point out. But we aren't talking about the promenade here. There's no overlap in the sump where we can message events after the fact and make matters slide. Kate sighs. <sighs> These are all topics that have been discussed and considered. By who? I ask. Care to clue me in? I'm able to tell you as much as you need to know, and right now you don't need to know that. So what does this have to do with us? I ask, fiddling with an empty Numa tube on the capsule. What's the Undercity? Does is its own business. Not this time. Kate plucks the capsule from my hand, setting it down as she sits back against the desk. I frown. She isn't normally this tight-lipped. What's changed, then? We don't know, Kate answers. To find out, we need eyes down there. Someone who knows Zon. That's who you come in. This is all pretty vague, Sheriff. I shake my head. What about the barons? You think they're just going to sit back and let Piltovers into wardens down into their turf and start flipping tables? Kate gives me a tired grin. <laughs> is that the big bad Vi I hear, scared of a few little Kim barons? I cross my arms over my chest. I just like to know who's going to be looking out for my scalp is all. Those barons won't be an issue. Oh, really? I raise an eyebrow. And why is that? Because they're the ones asking for help. I sit up straighter at that, 
You're right. This is new. I shake my head. Something is very off with this, and I'm not getting anywhere close to the full picture. Still a lot of bad blood between the barons and the wardens. There's a dozen ways this could go wrong. I wouldn't worry too much on that account, she says, because you won't be going as a warden. Those kids you tuned up happen to be spawned from Clan Medarda, and their parents want your head. She holds up a sheaf of vellum missives. I can make out the calligraphy through the light coming in from the window. From that same window, I hear the beginnings of a crowd gathering. An angry one. Lucky for you, Kate says with a smile, I talk them down. You can keep your head, so long as you're out of the wardens. You're leaving town, going home to reflect and reconnect with your roots. Cute story. The word home sticks out, whether she meant it to or not. All these years here, I guess I'm still a visitor. One who's getting the boot for doing her job because someone thinks they've got enough cogs to think they're above the law. Convenient, too. This means you'll be down on your own there. The levity drops from her voice. No backup, and appearances must be kept up. I'll need your badge and your hands. Go down to Zahn. I work the clasps on my gauntlets and take them off. Don't know what I'm looking for, only that it's bad enough that the Kim Barons can't handle it. I drop the bulky Hextech fists on Kate's desk with a thunk that crushes capsules and scatters papers onto the floor. And I can't even bring my hands. This is getting better by the minute. There's no one else I can trust to do this, Kate says. So you're really not going to tell me who's pulling the strings on this one? I ask, biting back on my temper. Not every day I'm asked to provoke an international incident. I've told you all that I can, Vi. Believe me. You could... Always come with me, I say with a grim. Take a little working vacation to Valoran's most scenic tourist destination. Kate doesn't answer. She doesn't have to. I know she can't go, but it's always fun to tease. And it keeps me from punching a hole in the wall. Dawn settles into morning by the time I reach the rising howl. The crowds outside the Hall of Law give me jeers and a few tossed stones as I left, but they knew better than to get too close. They clung to the hall where they could stay seen and keep their teeth in their heads. It feels strange to walk the city without my gauntlets, my hands still wrapped up from the day before. I left anything that could tie me to the warden's back at the hall, anything to tie me to Piltover, really. I'll need to lay low. I'm far from forgotten in Zon, and there are plenty of folks whose memories I'd rather not refresh. I'll go down, see what the barons got so spooked about, and be back in a few days. Tops. The conveyor feels near to bursting as the conductor whistles herself hoarse and the doors finally lock back. Hexdralic winches loosen their grip on the great chains holding us, and the descent begins. I find a seat on the bottom level of the pod, staring out through the bottle-green window panels as we sink. The morning light has spilled all across Piltover, glittering off towers of iron and glass, but only teases the lips of the chasms. The light'll reach the promenade, Zahn's highest level, but won't make much more than a glimmer any lower than that. I shift my boot, seeing a symbol scratched crudely into the floor. Some kind of spider. 
The air already starts to sicken as the conveyor slides through the promenade, and I taste chem fumes and feel a low sting in my nostrils. The new spire comes into view, a giant tower of pale stone and shimmering glass starting all the way down at Entrasol. Mechanicians, laborers, and menials toil in its base levels, synthesizing and refining their hex crystals before shipping them up to the city above. Of the process, all that remains in Zahn is the concentrated runoff, more dangerous than the gray by tenfold, at least by the smell of it. I'm not sure who owns this spire. Pharos isn't the only player in the synthetic hex crystal game anymore, though they still make the strongest, purest kind. Words even, Kim Barons like the Poingdesteries, are trying to make their own brands of cheap knockoffs without the merchant clans. Ah, eh, but most likely this spire is yet another joint venture between the barons and the clans. As we descend in the entresol, something catches my eye through the window. The conveyor shafts are no stranger to graffiti, but one mark stands out bright and new against the faded tags it's covering. A spider. I look down at the floor. The mark's the same. My eyes go back to the window and I find it again. And again. I stand up, pressing my back to the wall as the howl shudders to a stop at the entresol. The conveyor empties and more than one pair of eyes look at me with alarm when I don't exit. The bell chimes, a signal the rising howl is due to depart. The conductor descends the stairs, peering this way and that before spotting me. Lift's going down soon, she says, the unease clear in her voice. You're... Heading sumpward, then? I take a look around, seeing an empty platform beyond the doors. Looks like I'm the only one. May not pay to be unique in this regard, dear. She takes a step closer, pushing her goggles up to her brow. I can see the fear in her eyes. Sumps, not right these days. Best to stay further up. You know anything about it? I ask. The conductor looks down fidgeting her sonophone. Enough not to trifle with it. I consider her for a moment. I think I'll take my chances. She lingers, hoping I'll have a change of heart, before giving a slow nod and clambering back up the stairs. Soon the howl begins its slow rumble downward, down to the sump, where I will see what everyone is afraid of. The light gets poorer once you clear the entresol. Chem lamps appear fewer and fewer like fireflies rising up the farther we go down. The light from the howl itself is enough to see the immediate surroundings of the conveyor, though the worth of that might be dubious. The sum's never been pretty. Maybe a long way back, before the flood turned half of it into a graveyard and the other half into a landfill, it might have been different. But that's long gone, and from what I see, even compared to what I remember, it's only getting worse. Make the wrong enemies, break one too many promises, back a loser with your last cog, and you'll end up down here. Desperate people scratching out a living, safe from those above who won't stoop low enough to look at them. That's what makes it almost a haven for them, if not from each other. The lights flicker out. 
I stand, walk over to the window, and lean against the railing to glimpse through the green glass. After a few moments, the lights return, bathing the conveyor shaft in enough illumination to show me what's covering every inch of it. Spiders. Nothing but spiders. That same crude mark as before, but where above it was rare. Here it's been etched, carved, or sprayed over everything. It's an unending swarm, as though marching and climbing from up out of the dark they had already claimed this is theirs. I feel something cold in my stomach, a tiny flare of adrenaline. Whatever it is that Kate sent me down here to find... It's got to be connected to this. This is as far as I'll go. I hear the conductor's voice scratch from the sonophone as the rising howl comes to a halt in a groan of protesting iron. The doors unlock and I peer out into an abandoned platform, the only light, a single chem lamp pulsing faintly at the far end. I step into the platform, and the doors lock fast behind me, the conveyor already rising as I look back over my shoulder. Soon, it's just one more firefly rising from the chasm. There's no such thing as silence in Zahn, even down in the sump. I hear steam coughing out of corroded pipework, factories and scrapyards growling in the distance, and a trio of voices muttering in the dark. The spider symbol, crawling all over the conveyor shaft, is on the gangers, too, splashed on threadbare clothes, still raw and red on their faces and necks from new tattoos. They're armed, and making no effort to hide it. One has a chain, another a length of pipe, and I see the dull sheen of a tarnished blade in the hand of the last. They're young. Young enough not to recognize me. Whatever gang this is, these are new pups the most likely to do something stupid in order to prove themselves. You lost? One of them says, the one holding the knife. Can't say that I am, I answer, playing off a board calm as I take in every detail. Posture, health, temperament. I know in a few seconds which of them takes the orders and which one of them gives them. Which ones are most likely to run and who's willing to spill blood. I make to pass them. The blade flicks out ahead of me, catching the yellowed light above from the chem lamp. I think you are. He looks me over. Tell me, sister, have you come to hear the voice? I take a slow quarter step to keep all three of them in view. Whose voice might that be? Knife wrinkles his nose. Mm, Believers and pilgrims would know. And that's who who is welcome here. Time to turn around and go back home, you sun-stained filth. Another team spits. He gets a hissing chorus of agreement from his mates. I could probably get more out of them. The name of their gang, who this voice belongs to, and how exactly they have the whole sump running scared. But the urge to lay hands on them wins out. Boys, boys, I shake my head, smiling. I make a fist and my knuckles crack loud enough for them to hear. I am home. A quick side glance to each other and they rush me. 
My eyes go to weapons, flicking from blade to chain to pipe to see who I need to drop first. The air tastes like ammonia and grease as the tension cracks open. Adding a splash of blood won't hurt. I throw the first punch, forgetting I had left my hands behind. Wear them long enough and you get used to the power a pair of Hextech axeless fists can give you. When my knuckles find the side of Knife's skull, I feel something flex sideways between my fingers. The pain is sharp and immediate, making me hesitate enough for the pipe to swing low and hit me in the ribs. The third circles chain lashing my legs, but my focus is on the blade. My punch had sent him to all fours, a knee to the jaw, and he sprawls. I snatch hold of the chain, wrenching the ganger, holding it into a headbutt. His nose mashes flat against my forehead. He topples, clutching at his face. The whistle of the pipe makes me duck, throwing the owner off balance, and I add his momentum to send him crashing into a wall. Pipe springs up to his feet and freezes. His eyes dart from me to knife, back to me, then the chain. The pipe pings as it hits the ground, almost drowning out the pounding of his boots as he runs for it. I lunge after him, but I'm stopped cold by a spike of pain in my ribs squeezing my lungs shut. I let him go. Knife and chain aren't worth the trouble. I swap the blade beneath my boot and fling the weapons off the platform, ignoring my ribs as I start making my way deeper into the sump. And that's going to be end of the part one of Child of Zaun. This is a really long story, so I'm going to probably do a bonus episode if I get the chance to record it and release that with the rest of this story as its own little standalone before we release next week's episode. Anyway, thanks again for those of you. This was a fan request to read Child of Zaun, and I kind of wove it into Urgot because I didn't really know another time that I'd be able to do it. This one's already exciting. It's got some noir vibes to me. It feels like some of those old 1940s and 50s dragnet radio shows. And if I had more time and this was the bigger thing that I would love to do, which it would be cool if this was a full-time gig, but it's not, which is fine. It would be fun to do like a music backdrop and sound effects to this one. Really well written, so... Hope you enjoyed it. We'll pick up the rest of it later this week. I don't have a day that I'll release it, but uh, it will be before next week on Saturday. Thanks again, and I hope you all here in the U.S. It's Labor Day weekend, and that means we've got a three-day week and or three-day weekend, and I'm gonna enjoy it. Thanks for all for for you can tell it's late here. Thank you all for listening, and I'll catch you on the flip side.